bring a message tonight that goes hand in hand with what I talked about this morning. Tonight, uh, I want to talk to you about forgiveness. Now, I had planned, of course, on, on going on with Colossians uh, tonight, but after this morning and, and praying about it this afternoon, I think that uh, we, we need to look at forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is important. You agree with that? Forgiveness is, is of utmost importance in the life of a Christian. So in Matthew chapter 6, there's one verse that I want to use as a springboard tonight in the message on forgiveness, and it's from the Lord's Prayer. It's Matthew 6 verse 12. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I believe that's a verse that probably everybody is familiar with. Well, we're going to look a little closer at this verse tonight. Let's have prayer. Father, tonight as we do think about the topic and the subject of forgiveness, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the importance of forgiveness, of, of being forgiven, but also of being uh, someone who forgives. Father, I thank you that we can follow the example of Jesus Christ, and your word tells us we are to follow that example in dealing with others. I thank you for the relationships that we have and can have because of uh, the salvation that we know and that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. I pray tonight we'd be focused on your word, focused on hearing from you. I pray you'll call to my mind what I need to say, and that uh, above all, as always, you would be glorified and Jesus would be exalted. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> now, by way of introduction on this tonight, and to illustrate the importance of having good relationships, and good relationships come when you understand forgiveness. Because I don't know of any relationship, if it lasts long enough, that you're not going to have to have forgiveness, or you're not going to have to give forgiveness. Do you agree with that? Start to say, if you don't, you ain't been married very long. If you're married. But even a friendship relationship, that happens. Forgiveness has to come. Now, to illustrate that, and uh, by way of introduction, I, I want to say this. Now, most of you know that I do not like to fly in an airplane. I mean, I, I, excuse me, let me rephrase that. I don't mind the flying aspect. All right, but I think I've told you before, there's two parts, two critical parts of an airplane flight that I despise. One is the takeoff, and then I really hate the landing. I mean, honestly, Marcia can vouch for it. I do not, no, not do not like, I hate the landing in an airplane. Now, having said that, I'm the type of person, if there's something that uh, I don't understand or something that bothers me, I'm going to study a little bit about it. I'm going to find out about it to see if my fears are rational or not. Actually, they are rational. You should hate landing in an airplane as much as I do. But I began to uh, study on this, and I found out there's three key essential things and land in an airplane. If you're going to land it successfully, three things have to work together, have to coincide together. Number one, the wings have to be balanced. Number two, and I thought, well, that's a no-brainer. The landing gear has to be down. The wheel has to be down. And number three, the nose of that airplane has to be up. And when all those three elements are combined, when the, the wings are level, the wheels are down, the nose is up, then you're, you're able to land successfully. Well, likewise, folks, there are keys to making a safe landing in life that depend on certain relationships being right. And there's three of them. <coughs> there's that internal relationship that we have with ourselves. 
There's the external relationship that we have with others, and then the eternal relationship that we have with God. And just like an airplane, those three relationships are interdependent. If you're right with God and right with others, you'll be right with yourself. Now having said that, then it follows, if the eternal relationship with God is wrong, then internally you're going to experience guilt. If the external relationship with others is wrong, then I want to tell you internally you're going to experience bitterness. So now you see how this goes hand in hand with this morning. If you think about it, there are only two things, folks, that can come between you and God. One of those is unforgiven sin. Amen? The Bible makes it clear. The psalmist said, Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now the other thing, folks, that can come between you and God is not just unforgiven sin, but uh, it, it can be an unforgiving spirit. Matter of fact, look here at chapter 6. Look at verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So with the petition that Jesus gives us in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, what Jesus is doing, He's showing us how to overcome the grief of guilt and the blight of bitterness. Now understand, the only remedy for guilt is the forgiveness from heaven. And the only remedy, <clears throat> folks, for bitterness is the forgiveness of heaven given by you through your life to others. Does that make sense to you? Make sure we're all on the same page. For guilt, we need to receive forgiveness for our sin from God. Now, for bitterness, well, that's why Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our debts. Because we need that forgiveness from God to do away with the guilt. But to do away with bitterness, we need to render the forgiveness to others. That's the reason Jesus says not just forgive us our debts, but uh, as we forgive our debtors. That's why he says pray this way. Now understand, guilt is a ghost that haunts its own house. And bitterness, you know this, it's an acid that destroys its own container. And it's really elementary, folks. When we are forgiven, we're freed from the prison of guilt. And when we forgive others, we're healed of the poison of bitterness. So what I want to do tonight is to examine this, uh, this prayer within a prayer. And I think when we look close at it, we see four essential things. Number one, we see the desire of this prayer. Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Forgiveness, that's a universal need, amen? The reason it's a universal need is because it's a universal problem with all of humanity. Proverbs says in Proverbs 20 and verse 9, Who can say I've made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? And you know this is true. There's no person on earth so evil that they cannot be forgiven. And there's no person on earth so good that they don't need to be forgiven. Now I think it's interesting, look again at verse 12, the wording Jesus uses. He uses the word debt instead of sin. Uh, and the reason I believe He used the word debt is because the word forgive in the Greek literally means to cancel a debt. And sin is a debt. Think about it. We are put here on this earth to glorify God, to worship God, love God, to obey God, to serve God. But the fact of the matter is, we don't, do we? That's why Isaiah, the prophet, wrote in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way. Therefore, folks, each and every one of us, we owe a sin debt to God. 
And here, basically what happens, uh, we are brought into heaven's courtroom, we are sued for damages, that, and we're found guilty, and we're sued for damages that we can never pay. And the only remedy for that debt is to declare spiritual bankruptcy and allow somebody else to pay the debt who can pay it. Well, that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. You see, forgiveness is costly. I know many people say, well, no, forgiveness is free. Let me explain. <clears throat> when I say forgiveness is costly, let me illustrate this way. Say that, uh, say Jeff owes me $1,000, which you don't, do you? I'm just checking. Okay. <laughs> Jeff owes me $1,000, and I say, hey, buddy, I love you. Don't worry about it. I forgive that debt. Now, the moment that I forgive that debt, it didn't cost him anything, did it? But it cost me $1,000. So I want you to listen to me, folks. Forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. It costs Jesus His life to pay off your sin debt and mine and to allow God to forgive us. That old song is true. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt He did not owe. And because of that, we can be forgiven. And so listen, because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, we can pray this prayer and know it will be answered. We could pray and forgive us our debts. The second thing I want you to see in this short verse here is the danger of this prayer. Have you ever thought about danger and prayer in the same sentence? There's a danger right here, folks. Think about this. Part of the Lord's prayer right here, this part is fraught with danger. Because you're not only asking God to forgive you, but you're asking God to forgive you in the same way you forgive others. We're to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I think all of us have experienced it, at least I hope we have, asking God to forgive us. <clears throat> but do you know you can ask God to not forgive you? You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, if you pray, forgive us our debts, but you're not willing to forgive others, you're actually asking God to not forgive you. And I'm here to tell you, that's a prayer you don't want answered. You see, folks, and it's very plain, if you or I... As children of God, if we do not forgive others, God does not forgive us. You say, I don't agree with that. Then you need to study that verse a little closer because it makes it real clear. I don't care what translation scripture you have. That's what it says. And here's the bottom line, folks. Do you realize the person who will not forgive, they burn the very bridge that they themselves have to cross over? A man one time said to John Wesley, the, the, you know, the great Methodist preacher, he said, I'll have you know, Pastor, I never forgive. Wesley replied, replied to him, he said, and wisely replied, he said, and I hope, sir, for your sake, that you never sin. Folks, the refusal to forgive, it sets off a chain reaction, and every one of those reactions, those events, they are negative. And let me explain to you, first of all, the first negative reaction that happens when we refuse to give is it hurts the Savior. When we refuse to forgive others, I'm telling you, it breaks the heart of Jesus who died to forgive us. The second negative thing that takes place is it harms the saint. I mean, if, if we refuse to forgive, you know what happens? It fractures. It breaks our fellowship <coughs> with God the Father. And when we refuse to forgive, what we do is dam up the flow of God's forgiveness in our lives and it turns an oasis of fellowship into a desert of misery. Our fellowship with God has been damaged. The third negative aspect when we refuse to forgive, it hinders the sinner. Now you know this is true for many folks. You and I as believers, we're the only Bible that they're ever going to see. 
that they're ever going to read. And when they fail to see forgiveness in the church, it causes them to doubt the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it also causes them to doubt the reality of the forgiveness of God. And then I'll tell you the fourth negative reaction when we refuse to forgive that takes place is it makes Satan happy. I mean, nothing, I believe nothing delights the devil any more than bitterness among brethren. Then the disunity and discord and strife taking place in the church. I've said this many times. I'll stand by it. I know the devil would rather start a church fight and cause problems in the church than he would to peddle pornography or, or whiskey or, or uh, set up abortion clinics or whatever else it may be. He would rather cause discord and strife within the church and disunity between God's children. And I want you to listen to me, church. A church may run out of a lot of things. A church may want run out of room. They may run out of Sunday school classroom. They may run out of parking spaces. A church, believe it or not, they may even run out of money. But one thing a church should never, ever, ever run out of, and that's forgiveness. Now I want you to see the next thing. Number three, there's the demand of this prayer. Now if you read this prayer in its entirety, then folks, it says three things. Number one, you should forgive others the way you want to be forgiven. Number two, you will be forgiven the way you forgive others. And then number three, the way you should forgive others is the way that God has forgiven us. You know, Paul says, if you're taking notes, write it down. Ephesians 4, 32. He says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Now, how many of us know the golden rule? You know, the golden rule? I'm not talking about the world's golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rule. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about a golden rule that says, Do unto others as you have others do unto you. Well, let me tell you something, friend. God has a golden rule too, and it's a whole lot stricter and a whole lot stronger than that golden rule. God's golden rule simply says, do unto others as God has done unto you. <clears throat> you see, we all have a choice. We can choose not to forgive others because of what they've done to us, or we can choose to forgive others in spite of what they've done to us. Now, I want you to think about something. A little food for thought here, okay? Do you realize, folks, while we were crucifying Jesus Christ, you say, not me, oh yeah, you. Now, you heard me right. We crucified Jesus. Let's just lay that out on the table, okay?
Now, when Jesus was being crucified, not, not before he was crucified, not after he was crucified, but while he was being crucified, do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them. Now, I want you to understand something. From that exact moment on, I firmly, firmly believe this. From that exact moment on, God's required an attitude and a heart of forgiveness for every human being that's ever lived. The moment that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. <clears throat> now, years ago, there was an old evangelist by the name of Sam Jones. I've used him in illustration before. And uh, he said this, he said, I had a hard, hard time forgiving people until I made up my mind that I wasn't going to fall out with anyone until he treated me worse than I treated Jesus. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, folks, is the perfect model of forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, go to Calvary to learn how you may be forgiven and then linger there a while to learn how to forgive. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. In my lifetime, there have been times when I had to go to the cross and I had to look at the cross and be reminded of what Jesus did for me and the forgiveness that He paid, the price He paid to forgive me on the cross. And I want to say this. When you look at the cross and you, you see the forgiveness that flows from Calvary, there's some things that you ought to discern from it. Number one, you ought to discern that when we forgive, we ought to forgive freely. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, Freely you've received, freely give. Now when the Lord Jesus forgave us, He forgave us freely. That is the only thing that Jesus expects in return for our, for our forgiveness is our repentance, our surrender to His life and love. Now, let's be honest about it. Some people, they want to, you know, they forgive the principle of the crime, but only after they've collected entrance in, interest in vengeance. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And then there are other people, they say, well, I'll forgive, but first I want that pound of flesh or that quart of blood. But true forgiveness doesn't carry any strings attached to it. No fine print, no condition. And let me make this clear. True forgiveness doesn't say, well, I'll forgive you if you never do it again. You remember when Jesus, when Peter went to Jesus, said, Lord, how, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Seven times? Remember what Jesus told him? He said, no, Peter, 70 times seven. Now, Jesus was not given a mathematical solution. All right, He didn't mean Peter 490 times. No, He was teaching a spiritual lesson. Remember in the Bible, numbers have significance. Seven, that's the number of completion. The number of, of perfection. Ten, that's the number of the law. When you put ten and seven together, folks, that uh, intensifies. Ten intensifies seven. And what Jesus was saying was, we're to forgive and forgive and forgive again and again and again. You say, that seems impossible. Let me ask you something. Is that not what God does for us? I mean, think about this fact. That's how God forgives us. If it was not the way God forgives us, none of us would be right with God. Well, to forgive freely, well, to forgive fully. Thank God that forgiveness is not a fractional thing. Just think about it. If God refused to forgive one fraction of one iota, of one scintilla, of one sin, then none of us would go to heaven. God not only forgives all of our sins, He forgives all of our sin. And when you forgive someone, you forgive them fully. Let me use this illustration. How many of you got a cell phone with you? It's all right, I know it's church, but not everybody carries a cell phone, even I do. On your cell phone, do you have an app for a calculator? 
You know what? And I love that. Years ago, of course, you kids have no idea what I'm talking about. There were no, we didn't have cell phones. I know that's back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, but we had no cell phones. And they used to have little calculators, you know, that, and we couldn't even use them in school. You had to sneak them in. Some of y'all remember that? Yeah, I got mine. I don't know how many times I got a calculator taken away from me in the classroom because I was too ignorant to figure it out without a calculator. But anyway, on that calculator, there's a magic button. It's got a big C on it. I love the C button because there's so many times when I'm entering data, I mess up. I make mistakes. But you know what? I can reach over and I can touch that magic C button. And all the errors and all the mistakes, they're instantly, totally eliminated from that calculator. I can start all over without having to sort through all the errors that I made. As a matter of fact, folks, there's no record of that mistake. It's lost forever. Now I want you to listen to me, Christian. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ and asked God to forgive you, God hit the C button in essence. And He clears your life of every past, present, and future sin. Now in the same way that He forgives us, that's the way we're to forgive others. We're to forgive freely. We're to forgive fully. But we're also to forgive finally. When God forgives, in essence, God forgets. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. For I'll forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. Now, when I say God forgets, I don't mean that God forgets like you and I forget somebody's name or phone number. Alright, understand. God cannot learn anything and He can never forget anything. Because God is sovereign. What I mean when I say God forgets, it just simply means God doesn't hold grudges. He never throws that forgiven sin back up in our face. He wipes the slate clean. You know, us, though, too many times we're like the two brothers I heard about, Tommy and Timmy. They got into it at night. Mom told them to go up and get ready for bed. Well, she heard a ruckus and a commotion, and of course they're brothers, so a fight had broke out. And Timmy had hit Tommy with a ruler. Well, mom got up the stairs and as she came to the bedroom, she could still hear the accusations, the charges, and the threats being hurled back and forth, probably with some toys and other things, hurled back and forth at one another. Mom comes in the door, she says, boys, enough, stop that. And she got a hold of a, a Tommy, who Timmy had hit Tommy, and, and, and she said, you need to say that I'm sorry. Ask your brother to forgive you. Timmy said, I'm sorry, Tommy, forgive me. Tommy stuck that lip out. His mom said, Tommy, you need to forgive your brother. He said, why? She said, well, you don't want to go to bed, to bed mad at your brother. And you know how moms want to use the guilt trip technique. She says, because what if one of you go to heaven tonight while you're asleep? You'll never be able to tell each other that you're sorry and that you forgive each other. Tommy dropped his head. He thought about it for a minute. He said, okay, mom. Okay. And his mom, she said, that's a good boy. She started the door. He said, but mom, and she turned around, he said, I'll forgive him tonight, but if I don't die while I'm asleep, he better look out in the morning. <laughs> Listen to me, folks. When, when we forgive, we are in a real sense to forget. And what I mean by that is, now I know you can't forget the hurt and the pain. It takes years for that to be able to deal with that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't hold a grudge with what's happened. You see, when you forgive, when you agree to forgive somebody, you're promising to do three things with that person's wrong. If you're taking notes, you may want to write these down. When you forgive somebody, you promise not to use it against them in the future. You also promise that you're not going to talk about the wrong they've done to you with other people. And then the third thing, you also promise that you're not going to dwell on it yourself.
Now, there's a final point I want to share with you, and it's the delight of forgiveness. Now, I've been on both ends of forgiveness, and I'm sure everybody in here has probably been on both ends. I've been the forgiver, and I've also been the forgiven. Now, there are two wonderful results of being both forgiven and forgiving someone else. The first result is a cleansed spirit. Remember what the psalmist wrote? David said in Psalm 51-2, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I think you'd agree with me, Christian, there is nothing so refreshing like knowing that your sins are forgiven. Knowing that there's nothing between your soul and the Savior and you're right with God. That's a wonderful thing, amen? But there's a second thing I want you to see, a second wonderful result of being forgiven and forgiving and that is a clear conscience. Carl Menninger, the, the famous psychiatrist, wrote a best-selling book years ago entitled Whatever Happened to Sin. When that book, he makes this comment. He, says, if, uh, he said, if I could convince the patients in my psychiatric hospitals that their sins are forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the door the next morning. I want to tell you, folks, life is too precious to be haunted by the ghost of guilt. And life is, life is too short to carry around that burden of bitterness. And I'll take it even a step farther and say the willingness to forgive, that is an indelible mark to me of the proof of salvation. Because forgiven, a forgiven person, they're going to be a forgiving person. A great evangelist once said this. He said the one sin that gives Christians more trouble and holds back the power of God in their lives more than any other is the sin of unforgiveness. I think he's right. Now I'm going to close tonight with a true story that drives home the point of forgiveness. There was a young man by the name of Rusty Woomer. Now that may, name may not mean much to anybody here, but he was the 244th person to die in South Carolina's electric chair. Now, Rusty Woomer, he grew up in the hillbilly town of West Virginia. He'd come from a broken home. His dad was abusive and an alcoholic. His mom left when he was just a child. His dad used to mistreat him, abuse him, and beat on him every day. By the time this boy, Rusty, was in the ninth grade, he had dropped out of school and he was already addicted to drugs. By the time he was 16 years old, he was sentenced to juvenile, I'd say delinquency, it's juvenile Jail is what it is. He was there two years, got out when he was 18. He went right back into real prison when he was 19 for three years because of drugs, alcohol, and stealing. Well, after the three years he spent in the penitentiary, he got out and went right back, folks, to the same cycle. Drugs, alcohol, and thievery to buy more drugs and alcohol. In his own words, he said that he mainlined amphetamines to keep himself high, and then he would chug whiskey, vodka, and beer to bring him down low. And he said between the highs and the lows, he said, I would pop quaaludes and Valium. I would use PCP, anything else that he could find. Well, one night, he and another thug stoned out of the mine on drugs. They walked into a, a rare coin store. And there they stole all the coins in the store, and for no reason, they killed the store owner. From there, they picked a house at random, him and this other thug. And they went into this house, and they robbed the house, took the guns and the money. They didn't need to, but they decided to go ahead and kill the man and woman that owned the house. From there, they went to a convenience store. Now, this is all going on the same night. They went to a convenience store. And at the convenience store, they, of course, robbed it, and then they kidnapped the two clerks that were there, two women. One by the name of Della Sellers and the other Wanda Summers. 
They took the women out to a remote wooded area. There, both men, they raped the women and then Rusty shot them. Now, Della Stellars, she died immediately. Wanda Summers, she lived, but she lost the whole bottom part of her face due to a shotgun blast. Finally, the police caught up to him in a hotel room later that night. Now, Rusty's companion, he wasn't going to be taken by the cops, so he killed himself. Rusty, however, he was captured. He was taken into custody the next day, still addled and shaken from the drugs and the alcohol. He uh, confessed to the murders. Now, while he was on death row, there was a Christian who had a ministry there in the prison. And this man began to visit with Rusty. Now, Rusty didn't know how to react to that because he'd never had another human being speak a kind word to him in his life. But this Christian man kept coming. Well, after several weeks, the wall began to break. And this man and Rusty began to talk. And this man shared the gospel of Christ with Rusty. And Rusty miraculously and genuinely was converted. He gave his life to Jesus Christ, totally committed his life to Christ. From the time that he accepted Christ, he wrote letters to the family of, families of his victims asking for their forgiveness. He would sit for hours and hours at a time studying and reading God's Word. He would lead over the, the, the time he spent on death row, he would lead several other death row inmates to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He even, just about two weeks before he was executed, he helped the South Carolina State Police put together a video to show kids in high school with the hope that they wouldn't make the same choice as he did and follow that same path of death and destruction. Now Rusty had a final statement he wrote out just a couple days before he died. I want you to listen to the last part of it. He said, I want to tell everybody that I'm fine. I've never known peace like I have known it in my final days here on earth. I know some people will say, well, he just got jailhouse religion. He said, in a sense, maybe they're right. He said, but I got more than religion, I got Jesus. I turned to Jesus in prison when there was no one else to help and no other place to turn. Words cannot express what he has done for me. He knows, and that's what counts. But next to his conversion, I'm going to tell you the most glorious thing that happened to Rusty Wormer happened just moments, moments now before they escorted him into the room where the electric chair was. One of the guards handed him a white envelope that had his name on one side. He said, Rusty, we just received this. I want to go ahead and give it to you. Rusty took the envelope. When he turned it over and noticed the address and the name, it was Lee Hewitt was the name on it. He began to tremble. Lee Hewitt was the younger brother of Della Sellers. The lady that he killed that he was going to the electric chair because he murdered her. He opened the letter and this is what it said. For years I hated you with all my heart. I could have blown your brains out myself for what you did to my sister. My only regret was you were in prison where I couldn't get to you. But I know what it's like to be in jail. I've spent time in jail myself over the years. And I felt like a failure. But I became a Christian. The more I learned about being a Christian, the more I knew I had to forgive you. I didn't want to, but it got to where I couldn't even... Now listen to what this man says. He said, it got to where I couldn't even pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses and we forgive those who trespass against us. He said, it made me so mad. Now I understood and I had to forgive you, but I didn't want to. He said, the ball was in my court. So I began to pray long and hard. He said, I want you to know God has done a miracle in my heart. 
I want you to know I forgive you. We are brothers in Christ. And I love you. Now folks, there you have it. An actual true story, flesh and blood story of the truth of what I've been talking about for the last 30 minutes. Forgiveness. What forgiveness really means. And it's so wonderful to be a forgiver. Amen? When you forgive somebody, oh, it's a wonderful thing. But you can't be a forgiver until you've been forgiven. Now, the great thing about this is anyone and everyone can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the great forgiver. Now, I'm going to close right here, but I want you to remember this verse. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The next time somebody's done you wrong, the next time that bitterness begins to eat away at your heart, I want you to remember that verse. Remember that Jesus expects you to forgive others like He has forgiven you. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we close uh, this service tonight, this time of studying Your Word together, I pray that it would penetrate our hearts, that we would allow it to penetrate our hearts. We would allow it to become part of our lives. We would understand as Your children that forgiveness is monumental in our lives. Father, I pray You'll forgive me for the times I've withheld forgiveness when I shouldn't have. Times that I have allowed bitterness to take hold in my heart. Father, and I thank you for reminding me that there's no better way to be than to be forgiven, to have a clean spirit and a clean conscience before you. I pray for those here tonight who perhaps are holding and harboring bitterness, that they would understand that they need to get rid of that before it destroys them. I pray for those here tonight, maybe they have never given their life to Jesus Christ. They've never experienced what it's like to be forgiven. I pray that tonight they would. Father, thank you, as always, for your grace. And I pray we would extend that grace to others. In Christ's name, amen. If you stand, please.